Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I am songwriter and activist Justin Tranter, and this is the LSQ Podcast. Welcome to episode 49. It's Jenny Ellowskew. Chances are you already love Justin Trander's songs, even if you've never heard their name before, because during the past several years, Justin has written massive pop songs by artists including Britney Spears and Ariana Grande and Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga, among many, many others. In 2020 alone, Justin has songs on The Chick's Gaslighter and Dua Lipa's Future Nostalgia, Selena Gomez's Rare and Gaga's Chromatica, among others. And Justin also recently opened their own studio and has a record label and publishing company called Facet as a vehicle for them to discover and support a diverse roster of up-and-coming artists and producers and songwriters. And also, this is very cool, late last year, Justin received the ACLU Bill of Rights Award for their prolific work and activism, and they were the first gender nonconforming person to ever win that award. In this conversation, which we're about to begin, we talk about childhood obsessions that inform Justin's creative sensibility, The Little Mermaid, The Musical Annie, and female tennis champs like Monica Seles. And we discuss their old band, Semi-Precious Weapons, as well as, of course, getting into their songwriting process and how it has evolved. Let's get into it. Welcome, Justin Tranter, to the LSQ podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for connecting with me this newfangled way, which is not all that newfangled, but is for me an old school Luddite. It's very new, new, would you say fandangled? (laughs) (laughs) It's very new for me too. I, uh, I am like a songwriter, songwriter. I am not a songwriter producer. I don't, me and computers are not, we're not friends. So like even just Zoom is really confusing for me, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, you're doing great so far for listeners. Before we started recording, Justin said that they don't even have a computer at home. And no, I mean, truly, which so how do you do stuff? I mean, how do you <laughs> what do you do all day? I, um, you know, so through through the quarantine or shutdown or stay at home, whatever we're supposed to safe at home, whatever the many names we have for this. I've just been writing on FaceTime. I've just been talking on the phone. I've just been texting ideas back and forth. Um, And then before shutdown, I just, you know, I was always collaborating with a producer. So there would always be someone in the room running a computer or at least an engineer who was running the, me and computers were just not, we're not girlfriends and we're never going to be. But I have to say like pretty proud of myself that I like got a computer here it's, so it's all happening. That's very exciting. I'm, deli- I'm delighted. So wait, like a couple of things I want to talk about right from the outset, since obviously yeah. we're in this circumstance. You know, one is that I know you just opened your studio here in L.A. <laughs> yeah. Like what yeah. was that in January? We opened it January 6th, I want to say, like the first week of January. Basically, we had the opening party in February, but we started working there in January. 
Um, and then we opened for like three months and now it's shut down again. It's crazy. Oh my God. Were you, were you fully in there working on projects? Like, are you sort of just, you know, there's stuff that you just had to kind of pause and. Yeah. Stuff we had to pause, you know, luckily there's, um, I'm, I've been super fortunate that I'm, I'm, uh, executive producing, uh, the BB Rexa album, uh, with her. She's an amazing writer, producer. She's everything. Um, and that album we were like, Basically, we were done writing for the most part. There was a couple little tweaks here and there that we were able to do over the phone, over FaceTime, text lyrics back and forth. Um, But certain projects, you know, it's like they just kind of had to stop where they were. Um, And now people are, are, you know, trying to, like certain artists are like getting their main team, like everyone gets tested and then Mm -hmm. they're not... It also makes me well. One, I, my my mom, my mom and dad were both with me, but now my dad had to go back to work, so he's not staying here right now. But my mom is still here, so I, I'm trying to be like extra careful about it. Yeah, um, she's 73, so it's like I need to take it really seriously. Um, but and and the people are starting to work, which I think is okay, but also makes me nervous because I'm like, okay, you all get tested to work together, but like. There's grocery stores, there's yeah. gas stations, there's... So wh- while my mom's here, I'm just... Anything that we were working on, if I can't do it virtually, because some stuff you just can't do virtually, um, it's on hold until my mom is no longer here, because I'm just... It's not worth it for me to put my mom's health at risk. How many projects are you usually working on at any one time? You know, it depends. I'm at this place in my career now where, um, of course, you know with the the huge pop stars I love, you know, if they want two days, great. If they want a week, great, blah, blah, blah. But for the most part, I'm trying to like really now invest in projects creatively and with my time that like I'm really a part of. So, you know, whether it's executive producing, whether it's just an emotional connection that I know like we're going to really dive into this together. I don't have to do every song on the album, but I know that we're going to like we're going to make this album, you know, together in, in some way. That's what I'm really focusing on. So before the first, you know, I started writing songs with and for other people in about 2013. Um, and from 2013 to 2019, it was basically, I'll just do anything. If you want me there, I will be there. I can't wait. I will just one day, 10 days, six weeks, a half a day, I'm there. <laughs> Now it's like I'm trying to, um, I just want to like, um, that, that sort of super hustle, just trying to chase for the singles. I'm kind of over, I want to like really dig into full projects and like feel all that magic again of like, I don't only have to, I'm not just aiming for the single. I can do like the weird song. I can do the ballad. I can do the, this, I can do those things. So long story, not short at all. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it can be on like the projects that I'm really like diving in on, it's sometimes can be like three at a time. They're just depending on people's schedules. Um, but then you can also just be writing random a day here, a day there. So it can be a month can be with literally like six different artists or six different projects. However, it breaks down. And what, I mean, are you just sort of always coming up with song ideas? What's your, how does your songwriting practice work? Yeah. You know, 
it was always when you know when I was writing for my band or first started writing with and for other people, I was always like taking down notes every day of like things I read, things I saw, things my friends said, things in a TV show to try to find these ideas. But the more that my career progresses, it's I'm finding so much joy in really making sure the artists that I'm writing with or writing for that I really talk to them and figure out what they actually want to say. Um, and so I don't actually have to like think of the song idea. I'm so lyrically driven. That's where it all comes from for me. Um, that I'll just talk to the artist and figure out in, and find the song title in our conversation, or at least find the main concept in our conversation. And so that's how I've been doing it. Um, for the last couple years now, it's, and of course, every now and then out, something will hit me or I'll be inspired by something that'll go, oh, that should be a song one day. But for the most part, it's about really serving the artist um, and making them feel like no one else in the world could sing this song but them at this point in time. When you started doing that kind of collaboration, writing with and, and for artists, was that already something that you had kind of imagined would be a use for your musical skills? Or were you still at that point, like, I'd rather be the artist? You know, it's, it's very, I had always thought about it. You know, I really, like, Linda Perry's story was always super inspiring to me, how she had Four Non Blondes and they had that huge hit. To me, the whole album was huge, but to the world, you know, there was just the Hey, 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 What's Going On song, which is, I think, amazing still to this day. Um, and then, you know, a couple years later, all of a sudden she was writing for Pink. She was writing for Christina Aguilera and, you know, she really kind of like became like the, the it person of a big chunk of time for songwriting. And that to me was like, I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I could see myself doing that, but it wasn't the goal yet. You know, it was, I was still going hard on the band. Um, we were just kind of faced with this perfect storm of, bad business people in our lives. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we all still get along great. We, we text on our group text that we've had for 10 years. You know, we text on that group text at least three, four times a week still. So we were always great. We were living together for the last two, three years of the band. Um, and there was just all this like nonsense though in our business life that was making it more and more difficult to move forward and about a year before we called it quits, the, uh, the person that signed us to publishing, to our publishing deal at Warner Chapel, he left the company. And we were like, oh, God, we've been dropped from like three record deals. It ended up being four record deals. Don't worry. But at the time, it was only three. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, ugh. And now the publishing deal's getting shitty. Like, this is not good. Um, but it actually was good because this person came in named Katie Vinton to take his place at the publishing company. And, um, you know, I went and played her the new album for the band, which was leaning a lot more pop, alternative pop, but a lot more pop than we'd ever done before. It was very throwback 70s, like no, nothing programmed, just all live instruments, guitars, blah, 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 blah. Um, and she kind of heard the new album with this alternative pop sound and was like, well, have you ever thought about writing like with and for other people? Is that something you would be interested in doing? 
um, because I don't work at your record label, I can't make them release this album that I think is really good. But what I can do is put you in sessions to write with and for other people. Um, so I said, okay. Um, and it sounds like a happy accident, which that part was, but then I had to work my ass off. It wasn't just like I said, okay. And then all of a sudden my life changed. I had to go to eight sessions a week. Um, and I don't know how to drive. Um, and I was really, really broke. So getting around LA to like multiple sessions in one day, um, was really a special challenge, but I made it happen. Um, and yeah, so then that, that's, so the band continued for like a year into there. Um, and then it, it just thought the band got too much with the business nonsense and the songwriting. I hadn't had a hit yet, but. It, and did like, you move here? Did you move here kind of knowing like this was the place to come if you were going to be trying to do a lot of collaborating or you were coming here anyway? We were coming. The band had moved here to make our last album. We didn't know it was our last album, uh, but it was our right. last album <laughs> um, with Tricky Stewart. And Tricky Stewart is amazing. He, you know, Rihanna's Umbrella, Beyonce's Single Ladies, um, more and, and many, many, many amazing hits. And uh, he was Atlanta-based, but he was living in L.A. at the time because he was doing a bunch of stuff here. And so we moved to L.A. to work with him. Um, and kind of that last process, that last album, you know, he basically sent me and my band members to work with a bunch of different producers, a couple different songwriters to collaborate with, um, but mainly different producers. And we, I kind of learned how the L.A. pop scene works with all these amazing endless collaborations until you really find your team. Um, and so when I started writing for other people, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, this is the circuit that I was on as a band. Now I'm doing it, but on the other side of it um, as a songwriter, which was really amazing. So let's go back. Let's go back in time to, uh, <laughs> to Little Baby Tranter. When, yes. when did you first feel like performative, creative, musical urges? Um, well, the first one that I can remember is the movie Annie. That movie just changed everything for me. I just, I was convinced that I was Annie. I was convinced that um, whether I was going to get to play Annie on Broadway, I was, that was a big one, but I come from a, a huge tennis family. So my, my parents met because my mom was in the middle of a really fucked up divorce and started taking tennis lessons. And her, she was 28 and her tennis coach was 20. Um, and that's my dad. <laughs> so the total like suburban tennis club scandal of the married woman with two kids, my two older brothers, obviously. So they met in tennis, like tennis, I always say is like our version of like church, you know, like um, we would play every Sunday. My dad would do this huge group that he taught for free. He was a tennis coach, obviously, for a long time. He's a tennis coach again, but there was like uh, a chunk of time where he was not a tennis coach, but he would still do these free groups on Sundays. And that was like our church. So all of our family friends came from the tennis club and they would all play in this Sunday group. And then like, you know, kids who couldn't afford lessons, he was teaching them on the weekends. And so they became our friends because they were, it was, it was amazing. So, and I was, so I played tennis and I was very serious about it. Um, I was obsessed with Monica Seles. Um, Monica Seles was probably, you know, there was Annie was first and then Monica Seles was, 
was my second pop star obsession, even though she was not a pop star, but to me she was. Kind of, um, yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of got swept up in tennis because it was just like the family thing. And also I was actually pretty good at it and I really loved it. And there was, you know, unlike a lot of sports, there was a lot of like feminine representation in tennis, you know, with all these Monica Seles, Chrissy Everett, Steffi Graf, Martina Navratilova and all of Martina's weird, amazing outfits. Uh, anyway, so I just was um, obsessed with all the women of tennis and I could really actually see myself in them. So it wasn't like I was pretending to love tennis. I actually loved it and I loved all these amazing women playing it. And then The Little Mermaid came out and it was just lights out and I couldn't stop singing. I couldn't stop anything Little Mermaid related. Um, but it was still all within the house. You know, bullying was, the bullying was so bad um, at public school. Um, I was always safe at home. My brothers, my parents always celebrated me. Um, but the school was so bad that I was like, oh, if I like, I'm already getting bullied. If I like go and join the choir or audition for the musical, it's just going to get even worse. And I, I'm, I'm strong. I'm very strong. And I was strong then. But I was like, if it gets worse, I don't know if I can take it. But then in seventh grade, they announced that Annie was going to be the musical. This so, is the moment. This is the I moment. Was left with no, I was left with no choice. So I auditioned for Annie. Um, they did not cast me as Annie, which is just a travesty. You know, I should go, we should write letters now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> imagine if I started like a, a letter writing campaign about what happened to me in seventh grade. <laughs> so I did get cast as Bert Healy, though. Um, which is like the hey ho bo man hey dapper den. Um, so I was Bert Healy, which was really fun. Um, and then it was just over. And I I maybe played tennis for like another maybe a year ish, kind of like when the band and songwriting happened. It was like um, performing and tennis. It was like there was this year where I was like, I think I'm gonna still do this other thing, but we all know this is what's working and this is what's happening. Um, so yeah, and then it was just arts high school. I went to an arts high school, which changed my fucking life. The greatest place in the world, and blah 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 blah. So that was that was the beginning of me wanting to actually be a part of music and perform and all that shit. And when did the urge to, to write your own songs first emerge? So I, you know, I went as I mentioned to this amazing high school and um, the Chicago Academy for the Arts. If anyone's interested in looking it up. Um, or supporting, you know, you can donate. It is a tax write-off. Um, and um, went there, and it was a really open place, and, you know, the the there was openly queer teachers, and there was students, you know, when I showed up. I went um, halfway through my freshman year, so the first, the one semester at public high school got so bad that even though I lived, like, 40 miles outside of the city, my parents were like, okay, let's, if you can get into the school audition, we'll figure out how to get you the fuck to school every day, um, which they did. But still, when it came to casting shows and stuff like that, it was, this was the show, and it was traditional. And I just remember being like, ugh, the girls' songs in musical theater, it's like the one genre where, um, I don't know if women get better roles, but as far as I'm concerned, the, the the female actresses actually get better songs. They have the sassier songs. They have the more over-the-top songs. They have the more dramatic songs. You know, for how queer musical theater is or how queer the people, the people who make musical theater are, um, you know, a lot of it is, like, still, there's a lot of to toxic masculinity in these classic musical theater roles and all that shit. So 
I was like, I don't, all these songs for the dudes, I just am not connecting to any of these at all. So I think I should just start writing my own songs and see what happens there. And it was also right, you know, this is 95, 96 when I started writing. It was also when there was that huge pop culture flood of female singer-songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there's always a flood of female singer-songwriters. But as far as the radio was concerned, apparently, like, they just were all allowed to be on the radio, but only in the 90s. And now they have to, you know, the radio <laughs> has to pick and choose. <laughs> um, so started, so it was also, so the time of, of me wanting to, different songs for my because the musical theater songs weren't fulfilling me that were the boys were allowed to sing. And then also this flood of female singer-songwriters that I was obsessed with. Tori Amos, Ani DeFranco, Paula Cole, Sarah McLaughlin, Patty Griffin, uh, Courtney Love, Gwen Stefani. Uh, you know, there was just, the, the list goes on and on of all these women that I was like hyper, hyper obsessed with. Um, and so the, I was like, well, I guess I could do that. This musical theater thing doesn't really feel right, but what all these women are like writing their own songs and kind of controlling their own vision. Um, I think I want to do that. So I started writing songs around like 15 and 16 and then went to college. My degree is actually in songwriting, believe it or not, which is using my degree to the fullest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious in the course of, of collaborating with artists, what have been some kind of important discoveries you've made or Uh, moments where you realize like, Oh, I've gotten better at this because I learned sort of this thing that works. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, it's so interesting. The, what, I don't know if you ever notice it, probably maybe not, but I know in my world I do because it's what I do is, is the, you know, the internet gets so mad at like who, how many people wrote a song or whatever it is. And so we always laugh at that because it's like, no, it's just so collaborative and you don't like, sometimes there's a couple different versions of a song with different teams and everyone gets credited, which they should get credited, you know? Um, But the point of that is like, our world is so collaborative that I learn stuff all the time. You know, the biggest thing I learned, um, the, the really big shift for me when I was, you know, a, a couple months into writing with and for other people was what I was talking about before of learning like that my, one of my strongest skills is like, I am not trying, this is not my song. I am not trying to write this song for myself. I'm not trying to write this song for, for, um, to prove that I am good. I'm not really trying to write the song to do anything except help the artist live their truth in this moment. And that truth might be really fun. You know, like I spent a couple days with Joe Jonas many years ago at the beginning of his uh, band DNCE and just hanging out with them. And we were trying different things and not knowing what it was. And after getting to know him for a couple days, I was like, well, you're really hot. And you're really like goofy and funny. So we should like, you are, you are more than that. Of course, he, we are all more than a couple things, but so we wrote cake by the ocean thinking like, let's just like do this to kind of shake it up and do something really sexy and really fun and just see what happens. And, um, so the point being like the, the artist's truth can be something really vulnerable and powerful like Julia Michaels' Issues or Selena Gomez' Lose You to Love Me or Imagine Dragons' Believer or it can be something like Cake by the Ocean and all of those truths are valid. So once I realized that like 
it is not about me proving how many lyrics I can write. It's not about me proving my point of view. I don't even want people to hear, be able to notice that like, oh, this must be a Justin Tranner song. I don't want that. I want it to be the artist song. And when I kind of made that breakthrough um, in a couple different ways uh, is when my whole life changed of like, this isn't about me. And it's actually totally valid to help other people tell their stories. Like that is an important part of an art process too. It doesn't always have to be your story. And so did you then begin to refine your process of like figuring out how to get to know the person or how to get to know what it was that would represent them? I mean, it must be kind of like being a shrink. Yeah, it is. And I actually really enjoy it. And I take like a lot of pride in making sure that they feel safe and confident in talking about these things with me. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like so funny, like uh, us having this conversation, there's been a couple times where I, I, it's hard for me to not like stop and start asking you a bunch of questions about your life. Because like in my work life, that's like most people I work with have no clue what my private life is like. <laughs> and it's not that they're not interested. It's not that they're, it's just like, that's not what we're there to do, you know? And so, um, it's, I, yeah, I find ways to do it. And there are some stories where it happens. Like, I, you know, the first day I worked with Leon Bridges, it was really quick. Uh, Ricky Reed, amazing producer who I've been friends with for a long time, just texted me last minute. And he's like, hey, any chance you could come in today to work with Leon? And I was like, well, I have a session at two. So if like you can start at like 1130, I can be there, but I can only work for like an hour and a half, two hours. And so I went there, we did like a super little mini, like, hi, how are you? Oh, cool. You're from Texas. Great. Like, you know, and then, and then I was just like, all right, we, the clock is ticking. And so this is, might be awkward, but we got to go for it. Like, are you in love? Are you not in love? Are you in lust? Like, you just give me, let me know. And he's like, well, <laughs> you know, there is this person and, you know, like, I don't know what it is yet, but it's just kind of feeling like, like, like she might be, it might be something. And we wrote the song Beyond, which is one of my favorites uh, that I've ever been a part of. And it was just like, it had to be like that rough. Normally it's like an hour that I like to talk about nonsense and talk about this and then, and then figure out what the fuck we could sing about. But that one was literally like, oh, cool. Texas, love Texas. Okay. So <laughs> what's happening? So it's always different. And um, but yeah, I always, I take a lot of pride in it. To me, I think it's just as important to write, to be a great songwriter um, as it is to make sure the artist feels safe talking about their personal life with someone they maybe just met. Is there a repository of songs that you just keep for yourself and what might you do with those? I mean, there are so many fucking songs that I don't choose to keep to myself, but like they're just not good enough, so nobody wants them. <laughs> but I mean, are you also writing songs that just feel like you w it would feel wrong to give them to someone else because it's too much you? No, that, you know, I... I I, maybe one day that will strike me again, you know, but I haven't, um, I haven't, I only perform like once or twice a year for charity. I'm not releasing any records. Um, I haven't written a song for myself or by myself. I haven't written a song by myself in seven years, I think. Um, it seemed, it would, I try now, I'll sit down at my piano, especially the first couple weeks of quarantine, right? And I was like, you know what? I just, what else am I going to do? Like, maybe I'm going to write my biggest song ever in quarantine. And I would be like, then, no, fuck this. this <laughs> you get really addicted to collaboration, you know? And it's like, I don't think it's um, a crutch. I think it just, like, once, once I realized 
you know, I spent from, from 16 until 32, I never wrote a song with anybody else. It was always me. Even with my band, you know, I would write like the bulk of the lyric and melody and the alone and then bring it to them and we would flesh it out. Um, and then the last album was full collaboration with the band, but um, that was like 31, 32, I guess. So, but it was 50, at least 15 years where I only wrote alone. And now I'm almost 40 and I can't even imagine writing alone. It just seems so depressing. <laughs> Well, it's not a crutch. It's a skill. I mean, it's like that's like the magic is just like, okay, you are a person who can go in and and do something that is exactly what's needed, which is like bringing out something from the person and adding to it. And thank God that there's that, you know, that there's a person with that skill set to, you know, I think artists don't realize sometimes what it is that's going to happen when they get together with a person who is yeah. they're suggested to get together with because they are like, what, what's that person going to do, you know? Yeah. And it's like that person's going to ask you some smart questions or like pick up your energy and like help you tap into something. Yeah. No, it's, it's – yeah, it is. And, you know, what's great is you know, you're seeing now – when I first started, it was pretty much a lot of pitch songs. You know, we were just pitching songs to artists and, and hoping they would want them. And, um, you know, so, but it was interesting because when I first met Julia Michaels, um, you know, she wasn't releasing her own music yet. And but we were still writing those songs like they were hers. It was really coming from her stories, what she was going through. And I think that there is an age thing there. You know, when I met her, she was 19. 19, about to be 20. I was 33, 34, somewhere in there. And, like, when you're young, like, there are stories that you have to tell or you're going to explode. Right. Whether you're a songwriter, a whatever writer, a painter, whether you put it on your Instagram or Twitter, when you are that age, like, you have to let those things out. And it was, like, that was a big turning point for me of, of realizing, like, okay, this is so cool. What my, my, even though we're giving these songs to other people, we are writing her life. We are diving into her stories, her vibe, her style, and I am here to elevate and focus that. And that was like a big, a big change for me. And I mean, it must be a completely different, or maybe it isn't. Is it a different thing going into it when you know you're working with a young brand new artist or relatively new artist or, or an artist who hasn't had their defining tune yet versus one who's like already a legend. Yeah, it's, it's, well, you know what it, it, it's both sides of it can be so interesting when it's somebody who's new um, and you're kind of can get in there and be the one to kind of crack the code on their sound and their perspective and and how they tell their story differently than everybody else that can be super super fun um and then you know like then when you work with a legend who their people already have preconceived notions of who they are and what they sound like um sometimes that does take a little more thought process like okay how do we make sure that we don't piss off your fans but we still want to move you forward and we still want to tell the truth of who you are right now and we can't repeat what you've done, but we also can't make your fans go, who the fuck is this? I didn't sign up for this person. Um, so there can be more of a thought process there. Um, but then it's also, too, just about um, whether you're new or, or been around for a minute or whatever it is, like, do you know what you want to say? And if you don't know what you want to say, are you open to having somebody else help you figure that out with you? And 
you know, insecurity comes into play to every collaboration. If someone's too insecure to make a decision about what they want to say or what they want to do or what they want it to sound like, then it can get real fucking messy real quick. <laughs> and what about just like songs you've been impressed by recently that aren't your own? What have been some of, or, and are there writers who do the kind of collaboration that you do that are coming up that you think are really uh, impressive? Yeah, there's some amazing, amazing writers. Um, a young woman named Kennedy. Um, I've worked with her on um, Dua Lipa, Ariana Grande, Jonas Brothers. She's done a whole bunch without me as well. She's amazing. Uh, a young woman named Amy Allen, um, who's had a couple huge hits. I just think she's really amazing. Sarah Aaron's really special. Um, young woman named Jazzy. Uh, who's just fucking killing it. As you can see, I really only care what women have to say. I'm never really interested in male songwriters ever. Um, <laughs> that's not changing. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, songs that I've really loved. I mean, I listened to, you know, I love the new Jason Isbell record. Um, I, I listened to, for my personal life, I listened to like folk music, alternative country. That's kind of my thing. Lucinda Williams' new record is, is fantastic. I mean, she's always fantastic. I actually met her. Well, met her is a, a big overstatement. <laughs> I was in Nashville for a writing camp. We all went to this big dinner. And um, oh, another amazing songwriter, shout out, a woman named Audra May, also one yes. of the best singers alive. And so it was a bunch of people in this Nashville camp I didn't know, but me and Audra are very close. And I, we were, me and Audra were walking out, and I was like, is that fucking Lucinda Williams? <laughs> Is that Lucinda Williams just standing in this parking lot? She was like, pretty sure it is. And I was like, I have to, I have to, I have to. And one of the reasons my band signed to Warner Chapel um, was there's this guy who still works there, he's amazing, named Greg Souders, who um, has been in a bunch of alt-country bands, and um, he's just the fucking shit, the long writers. I think I get that name right. Um, he's amazing. He used to be married to Lucinda. And... I was like, and but they're still on good terms, right? And so I was like, but you probably should never bring up someone's ex-husband when you first meet them. It's probably not a good thing. Um, I've never been married, but if someone brought up one of my exes, I'd be like, okay, nice to meet you. Like, he's my ex for a reason. Like, shut up. <laughs> but, so I went up to her and I was like, hi, um, I'm Justin Tranter. Um, I, I make pop music. Um, you know, I, I work with Greg Souders, your ex-husband. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, cool. And I was like, I've seen you live like five times. I think you're amazing. But I think in Nashville, like people play it a lot cooler there because it's just like let everyone respect their space. And I did not respect her space. And I name dropped her ex-husband and made a fucking ass of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I bet she didn't even, I bet she didn't even blink. I, yeah. I shared it. I shared a joint with her once in Austin during with like other people but passing a joint to and from the hand of Lucinda Williams, I will not soon forget. I can one-up you. I The first time I met Mark Ronson, he burned me with a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> not on purpose. Not on purpose. Oops. We were like in like a, a tight circle, and I had worked with his sister a couple times. And so she was like, oh, come over and meet my brother, blah, blah, blah. So we're all talking. And he was just smoking and was very <laughs> animated. And the next thing I knew, he was animated, and there was a cigarette stuck in my hand. And you can actually still kind of see the scar. It's pretty, pretty impressive. So I didn't share a cigarette with Mark Ronson, but I got burned by Mark Ronson with a cigarette. So <laughs> kind of impressive. 
It's sort of a collaboration between you and Ronson, that scar. (laughs) And then we, um, at the BMI Awards a couple years ago, I was fortunate enough to win Songwriter of the Year, and he was getting, like, some huge fucking legacy award. And I had, like, said hello to him a couple other times before that, but I was like, should I go up and, like, say, hey, remember the time you burned me with a cigarette and now we're both getting these awards? But I, I didn't. I kept it to myself that night. I kept it to myself. I happen to know that Ronson sometimes listens to the LSQ podcast, so hopefully... Oh, hopefully... I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> Ronson, when are we doing a session? Jesus Christ. Oh my gosh, Justin, thank you so much for getting together to do this virtually. No, thank you so much, and I think we survived our virtual glitches. I think that was still a super fun conversation, even though we froze a couple times. So thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Justin uh, Tranter for that conversation, which I just loved. And also, I have more faith now in the pop songwriting process than ever before, thanks to those insights. And knowing that people like Justin are in there with artists really getting to the artist's vision. Anyhow, that brings us to the end of episode 49. I can't believe next episode is the 50th. And it'll be with Michelle Branch. Excited to share that in a few more weeks. Subscribe if you hadn't already done that. You can reach me with feedback and questions at JennyLSQ on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening.